And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome to our first uh, post-game edition at Highmark Stadium here on the Buffalo Beat. My name is Joe Biscaglia. With me is my co-host, Matthew Fairburn. Thank you for checking out the Athletic Podcast Network. And just happening today, the Bills beating the Packers 19 to nothing. The Bills undefeated in the preseason um, for the third year in a row because there was no preseason games last year, so they couldn't really lose a game. And they haven't lost a preseason game since 2018. It's a streak that I'm sure Sean McDermott loves and that basically everyone else in the locker room doesn't really care about. But hey, it's a, it's a thing to hang your hat on. Uh, so the Bills win that game. But what was important, at least from a from their team perspective, is they got Josh Allen and the starting offense some reps. You know, it's been kind of a debated topic what teams would do. Some teams rested their starting quarterback the whole way. Sean McDermott finally relented after a couple of games off for Josh Allen, put him out there. Uh, I think he probably stayed out there more than uh, some fans would have wanted him to. But uh, all in all, they got him some some reps. He got through the game injury-free, and they looked pretty good doing it. So what was uh, what was your biggest takeaway when, when you saw this whole thing play out? Yeah, I think the fact that Josh Allen gets through healthy should be everybody's, uh, you know, number one reason for celebration. You know, the fact that they put him out there, I, I'm not going to argue with it. You know, you have an extra week off uh, before the start of the season. So any minor injuries that pop up, you know, with a player during the preseason, there is time, you know, to get them right before week one. Obviously, you're trying to avoid catastrophic injury in the preseason, but uh, you know, I, I don't fault teams for getting their guys out there and trying to get them some reps. Josh Allen was out there against mostly Packer backups. A lot of guys who are going to be on the street in a couple of days looking for work. Packups, if you will. You could say that. One could say that. Uh, <laughs> they will be packing their bags in a few days, oh. potentially. Oh. Um, but he looked like you would expect him to look against that defense it's a lot better than the alternative, right? It's better than him getting hurt. It's better than him looking lousy. In fact, he looked really good, and he made some throws that uh, Bills fans have loved making him, you know, or watching him make over the last few years. I like the way that he got a ton of receivers involved. I like the way that he really kind of matriculated the the ball downfield a bit. He he really spread the ball around, took what the defense gave him. And I think that's a bit of an emphasis of his heading into the season. Uh, you know, he had moments last year, not many of them because he was really good. But when he wasn't at his best, it was because he was trying to force some 
some throws or he got a little impatient in certain games. The Titans one comes to mind. And he knows that teams are going to play more zone coverage, play deeper in their zones to try to make sure the Bills don't get a ton of big plays in the passing game the way that they did last year. You know, those guys can kill you in man coverage if you leave your corners out on an island against these receivers. So Josh Allen may have to do some of what he did against the Packers against a lot of teams where he takes the easy completion, the completion that's there, lets his guys pick up yards after the catch and doesn't always force the deeper shot or the or the tougher throw. But then when it's there, take it and nail it like he did on that touchdown to Gabriel Davis, which was a beautiful throw. Yeah, it really was. Um, the throw where he was going against his body to Cole Beasley was another big highlight. Um, yeah, this is watching... Josh Allen get out there and actually do it against another team is an encouraging sign, regardless if, you know, the majority of the guys who are going to get, uh, who are out there for the Packers are going to get cut. Um, still a good sign, just checking a box. That's, that's basically all you need to do in the preseason. We've talked about it a bunch. Just check the box to see. Uh, so that way you're not going to get a big surprise in case, you know, he just wasn't the same guy for some reason. Um, it was also a low-pressure environment for Josh Allen. He knew that there were really no stakes uh, in this game. Uh, not to say that it's going to impact him greatly once the regular season gets here, but it's just a different mentality. It's a different feel. And as much as you know, the Bills and Sean McDermott like to simulate these things and practice in, in the preseason, it's just not the same. But like I said, it's checking a box, making sure he gets through it, the non-injury part is the biggest piece to this. There was one play where it was kind of iffy where uh, he turned around and there was a defender there and he dropped to the ground immediately. And it kind of looked like he landed a little bit awkwardly on his knee. Um, at that, like, it grabbed my attention because I was, like, immediately hawkeyeing to see if if he was, he was going to get up and be a little bit gimpy. He ended up being fine. But that's the type of things that you have to avoid. Like, wasn't there one um, play where he threw a screen and he was about to get clocked? Um, but it ended up being a, a pretty substantial gain. But still, you know, that's the types of things that you need to avoid, especially when you are this close to such an important season. Uh, but, you know, all the, that worry is for naught because he got through the game. It's the same discussion we had leading up to Week 17 last year. Like, what is more important? Um, but... You know, they were able to get through both of those instances with Josh Allen, you know, uh, uninterrupted by injury. So they got his work in. Um, maybe they chanced it a little bit, but they got his work in and and he was able to to deal out there. And he and by all accounts, he, he looked damn good doing it. And it's going to be very interesting to see what he does against a legitimate first team starting defense and a good one in the Steelers to see if if this guy has quite the second season in him from what we saw last year. Yeah, I think the biggest concern, you know, you mentioned that play that he took the sack on, and I think that brought to mind seeing how he went down, and that brought to my mind, like, the danger of these preseason games from a quarterback standpoint is surely it's in your head. We saw Jared Goff a few weeks ago to go down pretty easily. You're probably told by the coaches to get down in any situation, 
as the starting quarterback, we saw Jake Fromm uh, put his body on the line for glory late in this game. But when you're in a spot where you're trying to protect yourself, we hear them t- you know, talk about it going into the first padded practice or making sure everybody's on the same page with the speed because you can hurt yourself by trying to protect yourself too, right? By going out of your way to get down quickly or by not behaving out how you would normally behave in a live, full speed, regular season game, you can put yourself into some weird situations, but they avoided disaster. And, you know, Josh Allen stayed out of harm's way. I think that's all everybody should be thankful for. And and the people that, you know, came out to the stadium on Saturday, got to see the offense just move up and down the field, uh, except for that one drive, which they should do uh, against backups, but uh, still got to see a taste of what this this offense could be. And you're right, they have one of their biggest tests of the season as an offense right away with the Steelers in week one. Yeah, so I think a lot of this, I mean, Allen, there's not too much else to say about Allen than he looked really good out there and that's exactly what you want to see but you know more so the rest of the first team offense because this is really the first iteration we've seen of them in totality Um, the starting offensive line all being out there this was not only um, Josh Allen's first game Mitch Morse's first game out there Darrell Williams hasn't played uh, to this point and so getting both those guys out there Dawkins played against Chicago, so we we've seen him do that before. But uh, but you get you got uh, Williams out there. Um, Manuel Sanders got out there for the first time. Cole Beasley for the first time. Um, Dawson Knox has been playing a bunch, but this was the first time he got to play with Josh Allen. Um, so all of these different things. And Stephon Diggs did not play in this game. He went through full warmups and full uniform, everything like that. Uh, but he did not participate in the game. So what they did, they went out there with a three-receiver set in Gabriel Davis, Cole Beasley, and Emmanuel Sanders almost exclusively. And it was very interesting to see how Allen operated without Diggs out there because that's something we haven't seen yet either, right? I mean, not in a game setting. Last year, he had Diggs every single time he he was on the field. So him targeting Emmanuel Sanders as much as he did, him looking for Gabriel Davis in as many opportunities as he did, it, it makes you think that if anything did happen to Diggs, they could probably get by. They don't want that to happen. But, you know, Sanders is going to be a player in this offense. And Gabriel Davis, you know, of course, they, they took advantage of a, a pretty um, a Packers defensive unit that we mentioned. A lot of those guys are probably going to get cut. Um, even so, they still they still connected on these things. They read the defense the way that they should. Um, and getting those guys all on the same page and moving in the right direction uh, with potentially big roles for all three of them, and then including Diggs when he's out there too. You know, this is this was a, a very important sign. But on the flip side, we also saw some of the same issues with the offensive line pop up. Like Cody Ford allowed some pressures. Um, also, there's this little part of it. John Feliciano seems like he's pretty secure on that left side right now as the left guard. Uh, All five series with the first-team offensive line, he was at left guard. At right guard, first series was Cody Ford. Next two series were Ike Butker. And uh, series four and five were Cody Ford. So it seems like maybe they're trying to decide between Ford and Butker at right guard. But 
you know, this is we got a lot of answers by what we saw out there, and we're starting to see what this offense could look like um, with Allen and and Davis and Beasley and Sanders and everybody. Yeah, it's tough to know. You know, I, I do think they are more equipped to handle a short-term Stephon Diggs loss than they were a year ago. It's tough to know just how much, given what they were up against today. Um, that said, what, and from the beginning, when they got Emmanuel Sanders, this is what I was most interested in. The way both he and Cole Beasley can play in the slot opens up a lot of options for this offense. And when I you know, mention the idea of them being more of a an offense that takes what the defense can give them and can put together these long drives and frustrate defenses that way as often as they can, you know, hurt defenses with big plays. Sanders and Beasley are a huge part of that. And Gabriel Davis has put together a really nice summer and, and capped it off with a, a productive showing in this game. He's made some great catches seemingly uh, every week at practice in preseason games. He really, you know, seems ready to take another step. So I do think the wide receiver group as constructed is better than it was a year ago. I think the Bills believe that. I think Josh Allen believes it. And he already has a great trust in Sanders, but I'm I'm seeing the trust in Gabriel Davis grow even more. The yeah, situations definitely. he's putting him in, the throws he's making to him. I mean, it, it probably started in that Colts game in the wild card when when you're making really tough throws and Gabriel Davis is coming through, Josh Allen, as we've talked about on this podcast, is pretty quick to trust his receivers in general, but he's definitely showing that that's a guy he can lean on. And he basically has four guys that he can lean on at given times. Uh, and that's not even counting what Isaiah McKenzie can bring to the mix when they're able to sprinkle him into the offense once he gets healthy after hurting his shoulder earlier this week. So I think they are well set up to, they've done a lot to guard against taking a step back. And part of that is slightly reinventing themselves on offense, making minor adjustments so that they don't get stale. Josh Allen has you know worked on his game and found things he can get better at, but I think the personnel might be better than it was a year ago. And there's a lot of things that can play into whether, you know, the offense takes a small step back, schedule, luck with injuries. Uh, you know, they could run the ball better and that could hurt their passing numbers. But I just don't think it's going to be a dramatic step back, if any step back at all. Yeah, it, it was it was remotely interesting the way that Emmanuel Sanders was talking about Gabriel Davis after the fact. Like he's like. Yeah, you know, it's great to have he's a good young player. He's he's wise beyond his years and it, and then he basically said it's good to know if they need someone to step in that he can do it, which insinuated to me that in his mind he thinks he's he's one of the top 3 guys and that's probably the way that they've um delineated things uh as, as the summer has kind of gone on here. But it's been it's been tough to track just because there have been so many days where either, hey, Diggs is out or Sanders is out or Beasley is out or two of them are out. And so Gabriel Davis has been getting a ton of time um, to work with with uh, with Josh Allen. But still, all the same, you have 
you have the idea of what the Bills want their offense to look like. And when they're in 11 personnel, odds are it's going to be Sanders, Diggs, and Beasley out there. Just the way they've been talking, the way they've acted. Every, and this is, this is not news to people that have listened to our podcast before. It's just the way the season is going. But I will say Gabriel Davis has done a lot to push that line of thinking. Uh, to your point, what he did out there against the Packers today, I mean, just really capping it off, really good hands on him. I think his route running has improved. I don't know if he's all the way there to where he's that he's he's that threat to win those um, those shorter routes that Sanders, Diggs, and Beasley are so good at, which is why Davis is such a he he's a good um, he's a good receiver to have because he's a little different than the all the all the other guys and and presents a different challenge to the defense so they have to be aware when he's on the field but uh but we have to see him really find all those nuances to the route running uh, over time as well so yeah I think I think Davis has definitely helped himself I don't know if it's going to mean he's going to be the third receiver or anything like that but um I do think that they might think a bit more about working him into 11 personnel than maybe they would have if he didn't start as strong as he did this summer. Yeah, it's like Brian Dable talked about last summer where they weren't sure they were going to be a team that ran so much 10 personnel until they got out there in the preseason or got out there in training camp and saw what they had and decided to, you know, alter the plan a little bit and practice more with 10 personnel and become a team that ran it the second most uh, frequently in the league last year behind the Arizona Cardinals. I could very much see a similar situation, but it also protects them against injury to any one of those guys because really, while Gabriel Davis isn't a slot receiver, he can. they have two slot receivers essentially in Sanders and Beasley. And Davis does know every spot. He's, he's a big slot, so your offense changes if you put him there. But the fact that you can move Sanders inside if Beasley misses time and stick Davis on the boundary, you've got Isaiah McKenzie to fill in on the slot as well to keep Davis on the boundary. It's just a good situation at at that position. And a lot of it has to do with veterans they've gone out and added. Uh, Four of their top five were from outside the organization. But that's a draft pick and the best one they've made, I would say, of an offensive skill player. Mm Mm-hmm. To this point in in this regime and you know not counting quarterback as an offensive skill player um certainly the josh allen pick was above average um <laughs> but you know davis has been in my mind better than singletary long term of, of like what this guy could be he's better than singletary moss and knox and zay jones um as their like main skill skill position draft picks and you know, I, I'm curious to see what he can become. We just might not see the full potential of that this season, but that's part of building the roster for the long term. When those big cap numbers kick in for Josh Allen, having you know guys like that that are a little bit more affordable helps out. Yeah. So uh, there are, there are a lot of things to glean, certainly, and I think another thing that maybe this is, is Brian Dable playing mind games with the Steelers in week one. But 
I thought the way that he used Matt Burrito was very interesting uh, against against the Packers today. You know, they they brought Burrito in not only in the backfield for some snaps, but they also brought him and split him out wide with another running back out on the field. And they used him almost very similarly into the role that Isaiah McKenzie usually does. A lot of short area passing. They mixed in a jet sweep for Brita. Like that is intriguing because Brita's speed is his calling card, right? And so if you don't have McKenzie and you don't trust Marquez Stevenson to be that guy on offense, then you don't want to sacrifice that element of your offense. So the way to kind of mix and match is to get Brita more involved in that way. Now, I don't think it's going to be a super big role because let's let's just think what Isaiah McKenzie was for the Bills last year. It was when everyone was healthy, it was anywhere from 1 to 20 snaps on offense, maybe a few jet sweeps, definitely a lot of him being in motion pre-snap um, and you know short passes whenever they would go to it, but but short passes that they called and designed exactly for him. Just to just because he gives that speed element that a lot of the other guys on the offense doesn't have. So I wonder, you know, it could this could just be a one-off where they put it out there into the universe in the preseason rather than uh rather than hiding it until they get to the regular season to make the Steelers over prepare for it. And then who knows, Breda could be a game day inactive uh by the way they play it. But yeah, I thought it was really interesting, and it and it goes to show um, that they do have options if Mc, this McKenzie shoulder injury is going to cost him some time, and they don't have to force a guy that they don't think is ready out onto the field. Yeah, the the thing with Breida that I've seen all training camp is that his involvement as a pass catcher gives him a built-in floor in terms of his role. I think of the three running backs, he might be the most dangerous weapon out of the backfield. And I think his involvement in that role that you talked about today illustrates a little bit of that. The speed is important on the jet sweeps naturally. And he's one of the only ones that can match Isaiah McKenzie on this team, along with, you know, Marquez Stevenson. And evidently, according to the uh, the next gen stats, Josh Allen can match him because uh, 19.4 miles per <laughs> hour today on his on his scramble. But. Brita is a, enough of a threat as a receiver that you can put him in the slot like that. And defenses do have to think about it. And we saw that a lot early on in practice where Dable and, you know, the offense were really testing Brita as a pass catcher and throwing it to him quite a bit. And that's when I started to think, like, this guy has a role. He's not just the number. He's not TJ Yeldon, I don't think. I think there's more use for him in this offense and i think a lot was made about whether the bills would draft a running back early and i like what they've done as an alternative signing a guy on a veteran minimum like like matt burita who has had success in the nfl before and hoping for some improvement from devin singletary and zach moss but you don't need any one of those three to be a star i think collectively you can get a useful backfield and some big plays on occasion from those guys and have a pretty good committee, but you may not have one single star. I think Devin Singletary has been a pleasant surprise, you know, so far in the summer, Um, or I shouldn't say so far because it's over. Um, 
by the summer. summer. The summer's, I mean, the not, summer's over. not over. How the, dare you try the, to end the, the summer? The football summer is over. Uh, camp and preseason are over. But Singletary looked good all throughout August. I just think what they have as a mix works. And Brita's role is a part of that. And we saw another wrinkle to it today. And I think that's what was interesting about that signing to them was that he brings something different. He's faster than Singletary and Moss. He's probably a better catcher of the football. And because of that, you can move him around and do some different things. Yeah. Also, a quick um, a quick uh, tip of the cap to Zach Moss for receiving touchdown today, which is kind of outside of his overall running back profile. So that, that projects well for him kind of moving forward, too. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, we've talked a bunch about the offensive side of things. I think it's probably best to go into the 53-man roster because a lot of that has to do with defense. I mean, we know a lot of the answers on the offensive side of things. Uh, we know basically know the running backs, have a pretty good idea on the receivers. May, Isaiah Hodgins is really the only one that's kind of up in the air. Maybe Marquez Stevenson if you throw him in there. Um, offensive line seems set. But the defensive line as a whole is just a complete mess because what you do with them basically sets the tone for what you can do with the rest of your roster. Because right now they have 12 guys with a legitimate – uh, a legitimate case to make the team. I mean, stop me when you think some, one of these guys shouldn't make the team. Well, I mean, someone's going to stop me for Vernon Butler, but you know, they they want him on the team, so there's that. So Vernon Butler, Justin Zimmer, Harrison Phillips, Starla Tulelite, Ed Oliver. Those are five defensive tackles who all have a really good shot of making the team. Defensive ends, Jerry Hughes, Greg Rousseau, A.J. Epinesa, Mario Addison, Boogie Basham, F.A. Obata, Daryl Johnson. That's seven of those guys. And, you know, being up here in the press box at, at Highmark Stadium, we didn't hear the uh, 
the preseason broadcast, but apparently Brandon Bean was on uh, the preseason broadcast and said that he has been fielding the most trade calls about his defensive ends because, quite frankly, they are very deep there. So it's just very good logic that if you are deep, you have talent at that position, and you don't know if you're going to be able to fit all seven of those guys on your roster, then teams are going to call. Um, I'm sure they probably want somebody like a Daryl Johnson, uh, but I think the name that would make the most sense to move out of all of them is F.A. Obata. And he's someone that I thought that they have, uh, that has had an incredibly productive summer. I mean, he was one of the best pass rushers uh, early on in camp. Maybe he's leveled off a little bit, but I don't even think that's the case. I mean, he's put together some really good rushes against Chicago. But the reason why I think they might trade him is partially because his lack of usage against the Packers. Um, he only had like a, a a few snaps in rotation in the second half and up until Brandon Bryant's injury. And once Brandon Bryant, the defensive tackle, was injured, Obata had to play defensive tackle through the rest of the way. But at defensive end, he really didn't have many reps. Um, kind of seemed like they were, they were keeping him out of the game. Uh, and if you look at him compared to all the rest of the players, all the rest of the defensive ends on the roster, it just makes the most sense to trade him. I mean, his, his age, he's around 28, 29, I think. Um, he's only on a one-year deal. It's a low-cost deal. Uh, he's, uh, he's not, like I said, he's not signed through past this season. And when you think about trading other guys like Daryl Johnson, who still has a, another year to go on his rookie contract and who they like a lot on special teams, Obata doesn't play special teams. I mean, we've seen that kind of evolve over the course of the summer. People would probably want to trade Mario Addison before F.A. Obata, but I don't think as many people would want to trade for Mario Addison as they would for Obata. So if you could get like a mid-round pick for him, maybe you know trade one of your late-round picks to get that mid-round pick and, and move F.A. Obata on. That way, you're not cutting him for nothing. He's a good player, yes, but how much is he really going to play when you have Rousseau looking as good as he has, Epinesa, Hughes, and they still want to roll for Addison? I don't know. Obata getting moved out makes sense. But if they don't get the right deal, they shouldn't force it. I think I think they would be just fine having him on the team, too. Yeah, Sean McDermott mentioned that the best teams he's been around have really deep defensive lines. And that, to me, it's okay to keep 10, 11, 12 with the way that they rotate. What makes the trade conversation tricky is that F.A. Obata has looked really good. Yeah. And so because he can kick inside, it's easy to find a role for him. To me, I understand that he has probably as much value as anybody that they're willing to trade. Probably has more value than Daryl Johnson, the other defensive end that could be the odd man out. I know he has a big special teams role, really turned a corner. Uh, towards like the second week of camp and, and progressed from there. So he would be tough to cut, especially considering how much they've developed him. Obata probably gets you more in return than Johnson does. But I think the numbers game, and it's a Harrison Phillips problem yeah. because he's hurt and they'll want to keep him and maybe put him on injured reserve. The numbers game is tricky because... 
I think you'd rather have Obata, I can see impacting their pass rush more than Vernon Butler or Justin Zimmer and the way that he can move inside. The problem is, you know, where do you trim at another spot to make Mm -hmm. sure you can keep 12 to get Phillips on injured reserve and clear up the room to have 11? And eventually you're going to have to move on from somebody, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know that they're going to carry 12 on the roster all year. So... Yeah, it might be a tough decision, but it's kind of like at offensive line a couple of years ago when they overloaded a position, let the competition play itself out, and they ended up having to trade Wyatt Teller, which wasn't a great move in hindsight because he's turned into a really great guard. And Cody Ford has not. Yeah, he, just yet. Wyatt Teller might be would probably be the best guard on this team. Uh, in fact, he would be. Mm-hmm. Um, so. You don't want to make the wrong move and make the same mistake at defensive line this year, but the fact of the matter is you're going to probably want to try to get something instead of just cutting guys. And if you're getting calls, that means there's some value to be had. It's just tough to... The way Obata looked at times Mm -hmm. in the summer, you thought that could be a guy that could impact games for them. And they have draft capital tied up in three guys that aren't going anywhere. Hughes and Addison likely aren't going anywhere. So, yeah, it's hard to find the exact spot for him, but you'd almost have to trim at defensive tackle because he can play there too. Yeah, and it's tricky because they view Vernon Butler, I think, as more of a rotational one technique than they do a three technique. And Zimmer can play at one technique as well, but his best spot's probably at three. Um, I just don't... it, I've been trying to make sense of why they've been playing Obata as deep into preseason games as they have, if he has been looked as good as he has. And, you know, maybe, maybe it's because he's not as high up on the depth chart as his performance practices and one-on-ones would have indicated. So he's been, he's been showing out and like, he's, he's a name of, of note now to where, yeah, conceivably you could get something pretty good for him. It's just, I think this is more of a conversation about Greg Rousseau looking as good as he has in both camp practices, going up against Daryl Williams basically exclusively until Jerry Hughes got back, and then uh, the way that he's looked on his pass rushing reps and even run defending uh, in the preseason. I found it incredibly interesting today. Um, you know, someone asked me before the game, I mean, I do the, the Q and a before each game on Twitter, someone asked me before the game about Rousseau and his type of role that he could have this year. And I said, I would not be surprised if we get to the middle of the season and Greg Rousseau is the starter at left defensive end and Jerry Hughes is the starter at right defensive end, but probably it's too premature right now. What do they do? First two, uh, defensive series out there, Greg Rousseau at left defensive end. Jerry Hughes at right defensive end. So it gets the the wheels turning a little bit. Like the Bills are probably seeing the same things here. Rousseau has been the better player between him and Epinesa. I don't think that's debatable. Uh, The way that he's practiced, you know, Epinesa has flashed as well. So this is not saying he's been a bad player. Rousseau has just been better. And that's a good thing that they have two guys playing, playing like that. So if you have Rousseau playing as well as he is, and Hughes, you still trust to be what he is, where are those snaps coming for F.A. Obata more than anything? Because you want to get snaps to Epinesa. You want to get snaps to Addison. 
I understand the defensive tackle standpoint, but if he's not playing special teams, it's really tough to justify this essentially a Quentin Jefferson that is not even a, a top four defensive tackle. So that's where it gets a little tough. He's super talented and they could make it work. They absolutely could. Let's say they keep Obata and they they move on from like a sixth corner or an eighth receiver or something that like that. Um, they could absolutely make it work and and do all these things. But I think if they get offered something worthwhile for him, I think I'm taking that because either way, he's done with you for the, at the end of the year. He's probably not going to re-sign because you're already kind of strapped against the cap. You have Rousseau, Epinesa, and Johnson all signed uh, next year already. Uh, you're probably going to want to try and get Jerry Hughes back. So where does Obata fit in? And are you really going to get a comp pick for a guy like that? So I might just be like, all right, just take the compensation now. Help out or you know, take advantage of a team who's desperate for some sort of pass rushing juice because... Let's also not not forget, Obata's pretty much unproven. Like he played, he got five and a half sacks last year and looked good, but you know, struggled with some injuries, didn't really play a full season, anything like that. So maybe you maybe you get something a little bit more than you thought you would have at this point. You know, like let's say two months ago for Rafael Obata. So it's just it's all about Rousseau for me. I, if it's me, seeing what I saw from him in practices in the preseason, I want him out there starting and seeing if he can, and seeing if he can swim right away and getting sixty to seventy percent of snaps. So where does Obata fit? That's that's my biggest question. Where does Obata fit? I think Rousseau is one of the the bright spots of camp. For oh sure. yeah, no um, doubt. Not that. You know, anybody expected him to be lousy in camp, but he was just better than... I mean, he was out of football last year, right? Mm-hmm. So, big-time projection, but, man, he looked good. Here's a question that popped into my head while uh, you were talking that is really just more probably a podcast conversation than actual reality, but do you pick up the phone, or what? what makes you consider an AJ Epinesa trade if somebody's offering for AJ Epinesa mm-hmm. in other sports and maybe even on other teams if a team called on an early pick at this point in their career you'd be like all right let's let's hear them out and see what's going on not that Epinesa hasn't shown progress mm-hmm. but backup long snapper backup <laughs> you know see that if he had been better as the backup long snapper today that might have been a way to make it work. Cut your long snapper. AJ Epinesa can do double duty, and you save a roster spot. Unfortunately, uh, not perfect uh, today, but I don't know. That's the that would be the only other thought. He's under a cost controlled deal, so a little bit different. You're probably not getting back your second round pick, mm-hmm. but if somebody offers a three or a four, um, he's shown progress. It's probably a bad message to send, but in mm-hmm. the um, in the you know, zoomed out podcast view of, you know, fun roster building conversations. Maybe, you know, somebody calls up about Obata and you say, well, did you see what AJ Epinesa did? I mean, because mm. Obata was better, I think, than Epinesa for most of camp. Yeah. In the preseason. I'll agree with that. So you might be taking a short term hit, but 
Yeah, Obata probably makes the most sense to trade because you'll get, it's the best balance of what you'll get versus what you're giving up. Because giving up Daryl Johnson is probably better than giving up F.A. Obata, but you're probably not getting as much, and so you don't feel all that great. Getting a little bit more for Obata, maybe you don't get as much as you would get for Epinesa, but you don't feel like you're giving up on a guy that you just picked. Yeah, and but if you're trading Daryl Johnson, you're also giving up all of those special teams um, reps that they are so infinitely. And for the, the emergency long snapper. Yeah. Can't forget him. He also plays a little bit of special teams, too. That and has Epinesa has looked, he has looked good. So yeah. I, uh, yeah. I, I don't think, you don't probably trade a guy where the arrow is looking up at the moment. And that's where, look, and this may be to your point, Obata's signing, they signed him before they knew what was going to happen, you know, and, you know, how these rookies would look and, and you know, how everything would fit together. Greg Rousseau looking as good as he did makes it okay to move on from a guy that's just not going to see that many snaps. But getting something for him is, is you know, a lot better than letting him go for free. Yeah, it would be pretty darn good. I mean, Epinesa, I think... I think the the Bills, it's a great podcast topic. Don't get me wrong. I think the Bills would scoff at it unless they're getting at least the, the round that they picked them. But maybe, you know, like, I guess that's kind of my point. Like, having NFL, three NFL year... teams scoff at, yes. at things like that, but yeah. maybe they should. It's like, right. guys, arrows pointing up. Maybe you get, you know, a good deal. And, you know, when they drafted AJ Epinesa, I don't think they expected to get Greg Rousseau, mm-hmm. F.A. Obata, and Boogie Basham in the building all in one offseason. So... Uh, I like Epinesa as a player. I really like what he's done this spring and summer. Um, it's just more a conversation of how how these things are done where it's like, well, we just picked him in the mm-hmm. second round. So, But everything, if you look at it as, if you look at every player as an asset, um, you know, and you're trying to sell high or, you know, move things around that way, it's interesting. But it's not going to happen. Yeah, I found it pretty interesting in the game against the Packers today that they put Epinesa on the left side. Of, of the defensive end. That's the first time in a preseason game that, that they have given him reps at left defensive end. And if you remember back when they drafted Epinesa, Bean was like, yeah, he probably projects best to the left defensive end spot in our defense. Um, but basically, the in, from probably a quarter of the way through the regular season on, he was almost exclusively on the right side. Uh, attacking the left tackle because that's what he had done in college more than anything. Um, And for the most part, well, not for the most part, for all of preseason up until today, that's where Epinesa was rushing against the left tackle. But today he was going up against the right tackle and he came in the game in, uh, uh, you know, spelling Rousseau, which I found very interesting. So if they do a Hughes... Addison thing on the right side or maybe Hughes on the right side, Rousseau on the left side and have Epinesa take reps at both and then Addison to fill in on like third downs. That's a pretty good starting point for for your defensive ends and what you have. And notice we're not talking about Boogie Basham because Boogie Basham is just not in the rotational conversation right now. I mean, I, I think he is a prime candidate to be a game day inactive to begin the season just because they have so much depth and he hasn't really lived up to it. He plays. He's played late into preseason games, all three. It just seems like he's got a ways to go right now. But Epinesa, you know, maybe he's not the starter, but because but that's because Rousseau has been 
so good so far. So I, I will be very intrigued to see how they line up their percentages that first game and, and what they do. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's the other spot that's the that's the big question mark for you with this roster building uh, by Tuesday? Probably wide receiver, wide receiver and corner. They both have uh, a numbers decision, really. How many do you want to keep? And if you keep extra, who is it? So in the case of wide receivers, I'd say there's six pretty comfortable picks. Diggs, Sanders, Beasley, Davis, McKenzie, and Kumaro. I do think Kumaro has earned that. Him taking on a bigger special teams role kind of cemented that, especially with the way that he played in training camp practices, got quite a bit of reps with Josh Allen. So do you keep seven? If you do, do you keep Stevenson or Hodgins? Right now I say Stevenson. Yeah. Um, I like Hodgins as a player, but... No special teams value on Hodgins. And he has not stayed healthy enough to consistently keep his arrow pointing up, unfortunately for him. Uh, He's missed too much time last year uh, and then missing time with a knee injury. I think they can get him back on the practice squad. You know, what has he put on tape Mm -hmm. that would scare you into thinking another team would pick him up? 15 total preseason snaps so He has far. done nothing. He has not put anything on tape that would warrant any more than just a team taking a flyer, which could happen because he was a sixth-round pick in a loaded receiver class. I mean, the Texans are out there. Yeah, I mean, there's <laughs> teams that, that want the numbers, and I do think he has an, a potential NFL future. So it's not the safest thing in the world, but golly at this point you know i don't think you're losing sleep with how deep the receiver room is if you end up losing isaiah hodgins to waivers i think you can live with that stevenson on the other hand we knew he was really fast coming into to training camp we knew that after they drafted him and it showed up in practice with a few deep catches it showed up with a return for a touchdown and it showed up uh, with a long catch in the first preseason game he has put things on tape that would make somebody say, yeah, let's let's stash that guy. Let's grab that guy and put him on our 53. So I think you have to keep him. And that's why I think they end up with seven receivers and he ends up making the cut. And there's a similar conversation to be had at cornerback, but that's kind of how I see the wide receiver room right now. Yeah, uh, I tend to agree with you. Marquez Stevenson has earned it through preseason games over Isaiah Hodgins. Um, and I'm, I'm honestly just kind of flabbergasted myself that Isaiah Hodgins elicited a golly from you on this podcast more than anything, 
but uh, but yeah, I would keep seven Stevenson on on board, and then uh, see what you can do with Isaiah Hodgins. Risk him; it's fine. I think uh, I think I would rather have Stevenson on the active roster if McKenzie has to miss time. You have a kick returner or punt returner, and someone you could easily make game day inactive um, if if McKenzie's available. Cornerback, I think, is an interesting discussion, not as to who they will pick, who they will keep with the top five, but if they keep six and which of the six, which number six they keep. I think there are two legitimate cases to be made here between Cam Lewis and Rashad Wild Goose, no matter which route you want to take. But this was kind of like we just posted our our last um, 53-man roster projection over at The Athletic. Um, Matthew and I both kind of combined forces to do it. And the one that we switched right before um, we submitted was taking out Wild Goose and putting Cam Lewis on. And that has so much to do with what's going on at cornerback with their injuries. I mean, Levi Wallace has missed quite a few practices with a hip injury. Dane Jackson has a stinger. Um, Taron Johnson still has uh, a wrap or some sort of cast around his hand. And Cam Lewis is much more ready to give you snaps right now than Wild Goose. Cam Lewis was out there with the first team defense today. He played both boundary Played nickel. Nickel is is his spot by trade, but he can give you reps outside if you need it. And I just don't know that they could they can trust Saran Neal in a full one hundred percent corner role, and that has to be scary to them. And Wild Goose is not ready to play right now. He's shown flashes. He's gotten better, absolutely, but he's not ready. Cam Lewis is a lot more ready. And if you're trying to win a Super Bowl, you cannot trot out Rashad Wild Goose as your CB2 if you have some injuries going on. So that's why, ultimately, I I thought Cam Lewis, and the other part to this, is if you put Harrison Phillips on IR and you want to bring him back, you're going to need somebody to cut. And Cam Lewis is a great candidate for that because you know you can get him to the practice squad in the confines of the regular season. Rashad Wild Goose, I think you have a better chance of getting him to the practice squad if you do it in the huge wave of final cuts and then protect him uh, every single week because you get four of those protection, protected spots. So that's just kind of a way to, to you know, have your cake and eat it too here. Um, but yeah, it's, it's difficult. And I'm not even convinced they'll keep five cornerbacks. But if they do, I think Cam Lewis, or I'm sorry, six cornerbacks, if they do keep a sixth, I think Cam Lewis makes the most sense right now. I mean, really, it begs the question, who has their cake and doesn't eat it, really? It's a weird phrase. If you think about it. It's a weird phrase. I mean, what else would you do with the cake? Throw it against the wall. I mean, perhaps that's a question. That Some we people don't, don't like ask. cake. I don't know. Um, what you do with your cake is your own business, I suppose. <laughs> but they really tipped their hand i think with cam lewis last year when they almost benched taron johnson for mm-hmm. him or they sort of did bench taron johnson for him oh but they then cam they lewis did. got hurt 10 points um, in <laughs> so it was a very uh short uh you know stint in the starting lineup for cam lewis i like what i saw from rashad wild goose as camp went along he got better he you know he came out of the gate strong in the spring saying he wasn't worried about 
you know, the first day of practice because he was shooting for the Hall of Fame. <laughs> I respected the hell out of it. But he did not always look like a Hall of Fame corner uh, during during practices, but he did get better as camp went along. He is willing to tackle, which is what something I think they'll appreciate about him. And he showed some ball skills. They aren't going to trust him in regular season action, meaningful regular season action just yet. Cam Lewis, we already know that they trust to the extent that they were ready to put him in the lineup last year, ready to replace a decent player in Taron Johnson. Not clearly not a dominant one because he, you know, was going to be replaced, but a pretty good player, a guy that made one of the great plays in franchise history when he ended up back in the lineup. And I think uh, sort of regained his footing. So the fact that they had Cam Lewis pretty neck and neck with him tells me that there's a role for him. The Mm -hmm. fact that he could play inside and outside, you know, you got to keep Saran Neal around because of, you know, the way he can move around the defense and what he does on special teams. But yeah, you don't want to be in a spot where you're forced to count on him at the boundary for extended periods of time. So I just think Lewis is as trustworthy an option as they have if they go with six corners. Yeah, and and he wasn't perfect against the Packers. He got turned around on one play, and and he kind of beat himself up for it um, after the play. And it ended up being a big gain. But that's not his most natural position. He's he's more of a nickel than anything. But he between him and Neil, he is the more consistent boundary corner for at least from what I have seen from them this summer. But from there, it's it's just a lot of different uh, a lot of different ways you can take this roster. Like three QBs or two QBs, probably two, but who knows? Um, three tight ends, including Reggie Gilliam, or four tight ends, probably three, most definitely three. Um, linebackers, five or six. Uh, a big piece of the puzzle puzzle kind of kind of uh, was answered after the game today when Sean McDermott said that they're projecting Jaquan Johnson to potentially be ready by the start of the regular season, which means that they don't have to try and keep Josh Thomas and DeMar Hamlin. That's another one, DeMar Hamlin or Josh Thomas, probably DeMar Hamlin based on the way he's played late here. So all of these different things lead you, uh, there's so many different paths that they can take. And that just goes to show the overall depth of this team because a lot of these guys that we're talking about probably make the team in 2018 and probably 2019 as well. But they're they're in a spot now where they have depth. It's not like they're they're just the greatest team in the world. They have their holes, like guard as a whole, cornerback as a whole, you know, depth at offensive tackle is is another is another trouble spot. But that's going to happen with any team in the NFL. No roster is going to be perfect. You just have to have the quarterback to be able to to patch up all the, the rough spots. Yeah, and this quarterback doesn't have to patch up that many rough spots because he's got a hell of a lot of receiver talent around him. Definitely says something about this roster when one of the biggest questions is Josh Thomas or DeMar Hamlin. <laughs> right. Not an important question yeah. to the overall success of the 2021 team. Undoubtedly, an extremely important question to Josh Thomas, DeMar Hamlin, and their respective loved ones. Um, big day for a lot of guys in the, in the coming days. So not to diminish what this means for a lot of players around the league and guys really fighting for their chance. 
but also the guys that will fight think they got their chance, won their job, won a spot, and then get cut a couple of days later from waivers. You know, it's it's a tough you know couple of days for those guys on the bubble. But the decisions, while they're tougher for the Bills, right? That's the idea. That as the roster gets better, the decisions are tougher. You're cutting better players. The decisions don't feel that tough because a lot of the roster is set and they don't have, you know, even defensive line conversation. They've got a lot of great options, right? And, you know, having multiple good options, I think, is, you know, a good position to be in rather than a bad position where they say, oh, we've got to walk away from a good player. Well, yeah, that's, you know, better than having to keep a lousy player on your team, which is what they had to do early in this this regime. So I do think they overall have, you know, a lot of stuff pretty much buttoned up. The real question is, they a couple years ago, I would say, in, in one of Brandon Bean's finer moves, he was able to get something for Russell Bodine. Mm. Can he match it and get something for Jake Fromm mm. in the next couple of days? You think it would be more of a feat to get something for Jake Fromm no. than Russell? Oh, okay. I just think it would be it, it would be in that tier for okay. me to yeah. get because I just I'm not seeing a whole lot out of Jake Fromm that would make me throw a draft pick at him. But hey. I'm not employed as an NFL general manager, and I've never been wooed by Brandon Bean in trade talks. Maybe he can really uh, he can really put on the charm and get somebody to, <laughs> to give something up for Fromm. Yeah, Russell Bodine, Marshall Newhouse are both in that tier. Um, Fromm's probably not quite on that, to be fair. Yeah, yeah. He's a quarterback. Yeah, he's a quarterback. So it's different. But and he has played okay. He 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 showed a little bit of. Uh, a little bit of something in, but, in these preseason games. But I think I'd rather have Webb on the practice squad and have him as my you know, QB3. I think Bobby Hart would be on the same tier. That. Now that would be good. Yeah. You get something for Bobby Hart and you are in that exec. You're getting off to a good start defending that executive <laughs> of the year title. Well, if you can find something for Bobby Hart, especially with the tape he put out there oh, this yeah. preseason. They burned the tape. <laughs> That's where they wish they a, had no preseason and closed practices so they could say, well, let me tell you, Bobby Hart has been killing it in this camp. You need to give us a sixth. But too many teams saw what, what was out there. I don't think they're getting anything for him. Nope. Well, the Bills will be answering all of our questions and all of this debate that we have had over the uh, the last 30 minutes or so of this podcast. Um by Tuesday at 4 p.m. My guess is cuts will, will probably start trickling in on Monday, probably leading into Tuesday, maybe as they start to talk about it, field trade offers, talk to other teams, things like that. But it's going to be that final step towards this whole thing being real as we get closer to the regular season. So the Bills have cut down day on Tuesday. They have a practice on Wednesday with their 53-man roster and conceivably their full 16 or 17-person practice squad. And then we'll see what uh, what they've got in store for Pittsburgh. That's where this stuff starts to get pretty fun. All right. Uh, that's going to do it for us. Um, thanks, everyone, for kicking around with us uh, throughout the entirety of training camp and all the preseason games. It's been fun, and now we get to transition this into the the uh, the regular season, which could be a, 
a doozy if the Bills do what uh, or live up to the potential that they have kind of built up for themselves here. All right. So for Matthew Fairburn, my name is Joe Biscaglia. If you haven't yet, head over to theathletic.com slash the Buffalo Beat and sign up for The Athletic today. You can get to read all of the stuff that we write over at The Athletic. You get to read Tim Graham's stuff, John Vogel, who covers the Sabre. That's just from a Buffalo perspective. You also get all of our coverage for every other sport, NHL, Premier League, baseball, NBA, all the good stuff. We've, we've got reporters covering basically everywhere. So um, go to theathletic.com slash thebuffalobeat and sign up today. All right, for Matt, I'm Joe. We'll talk to you once the cuts are done, and uh, we'll see who is on the 53. See you then.